Hi, this is Tammy Leischer, host of Embracing Change, Talking Through Trauma. The podcast is focused on fitness enthusiasts and movement educators, where we'll have deep conversations that are impacting the movement industry. For example, trauma, health, vitality, the nervous system, and movement. And now, welcome to the podcast. Good, good afternoon. Welcome to Embracing Change, Talking Through Trauma. And today my guest is Gwen Miller. And Gwen has a whole long list of um, what I'm going to call titles. She is uh, a balanced body educator for Pilates. She's a Pilates instructor. She's an author. She's a yoga therapist. And that's just to name a few. But she uh, today our, our conversation is going to revolve around her being an author, she has written a book entitled Safe Movement for All Spines. So welcome to the podcast, Gwen. So thank you, Tammy. You I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's, um, you know, to undertake writing a book had to have been a huge, like, mm, monumental decision for you to do it. And one of the things that we spoke about off camera was all of the unexpected results that you, from the feedback that you've gotten from multiple people about finishing your book, but that also that you've inspired them to write. Yeah, that's been a really unexpected um, benefit. Uh, I've received overwhelmingly positive feedback about the book. And so that's been very gratifying, but there have been several people, colleagues um, and friends who've said, you know, if you can do it, I can do it. And people who thought, oh, I'm too busy or I'm going to do it later when I have more time. And, and I think seeing that, I, I mean, I am a very busy professional. I think that many of us are, we're, we're wearing multiple hats and being able to complete a project of this size and scope, even while being a very busy person, um, it's, it's apparently been inspiring to others who have been putting off writing. Um, and I'm delighted. I feel like that by continuing to put one foot in front of the other and really commit to this project that I feel is helping and will help so many people that me shining my light kind of like a Marianne Williamson paraphrase you know has kind of encouraged other people to shine theirs and I am I'm delighted so I would say to you that um like producing the podcast and I've had other people that I've inspired as well but when we, we talked about that. I started writing what I'm going to call a curriculum. And from that curriculum, I actually have, I'm just going to hold it up because you've inspired me to take it bigger. <laughs> and it's entitled Trauma Impacts Movement Approach, which dovetails into the curriculum that I've written. So you've inspired me as well. And I have to say that, um, you know, we're, we're here to talk about one chapter in your book, which is the language of healing, but I've read and tied 
so many of my clients to chapters in your book that <laughs> we could probably have two more podcasts around your book and we will have at least another one. We already talked about that. So um, one of the things that I guess I'm really curious is um, you, you have a course for teachers that's based on your book. How does the course differ from your book? Well, that's a great question. And the, the, the course has nine modules that are basically they're standalone modules. So it's an, uh, it's an evergreen format, which means that people can enroll at any point in the nine modules. Um, and uh, they, there's access to the full curriculum upon enrollment in the full course, or people can come in and just do one course at a time. And I've, I actually already ran a beta year of the course, and now we're in our second year. So uh, a lot of fine tuning has occurred. Um, the book, uh, when I first began writing the book, my intention was, and still is, to make it accessible, not only to teachers of Pilates, yoga, um, personal training, fitness, with some tips in there for manual therapists and other allied modalities, but I really wanted it to be accessible for people who were not professionals in a fitness industry, uh, lay people, and mm -hmm. people who would actually have the conditions that are described in the chapters of the book. So yeah. I, my goal was to make it readable and understandable without it being dumbed down. And I went with a non-modality specific format because movement is movement. We can call the same movement by different names, depending on what tradition that we're currently teaching. Many of us have multiple certifications. Many of our clients take multiple types of classes or yes. uh, in, in, uh, participate in multiple types of exercise. So um, when I began developing the uh, curriculum based on the book, I wanted to take a deeper dive that would be specifically for teachers. So the curriculum differs from the book because it goes much more in depth to each of the spinal sacral or hip pathologies or variants mm -hmm. in each chapter. Um, and it begins with a uh, pre-recorded background lecture, this generally plus or minus a good hour of very, uh, very intensely pithy material uh, with slides and all of that. And so it takes the the first section of each chapter and uses that as a launching point for a deep dive. And then it includes uh, assessments, teaches assessments that are in addition to the ones that are in the book. Um, and we go into specific examples in the live classes that are from the book. Um, so the book is, is a foundation and the, it's a launching point for the course. And the course I see as being something that continues to grow and sure. develop as we continue on through the years. And I am continuing to add content uh, to the course and also to the website for the book. 
So I guess in a, in a nutshell, the, the course is more teacher specific while the book is intended for both. Wow. That's, I mean, it's wonderful that you're, and again, you're dovetailing them together as well. Yeah. So. Well, when, when you publish a book, when you submit a proposal for, for publishing a book to a publisher, Okay, so when you do this, Tammy, they're going to ask you, <laughs> they're going to ask you, who's the book for? Where are you going to sell the book? And uh, what, how are you going to sell the book? And one of the, one of the um, things that I said at that time, I always intended it to be a textbook for a teacher training course and still wanted it to be readable for lay people. And I've, I'm getting feedback from lay people, by the way, that that it is, I, that goal is accomplished. I had multiple people read the book that were in the industries and also not like non-exercisers. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm super happy that that, it, that it's, the information is accessible. Um, but the, the idea of having this resource, okay, available to people for as, as a reference guide, um, as a way to simplify working with people coming into studio as a way for people to take responsibility for their own bodies. I mean, this yeah. is all part of the picture. But when you uh, when you send your uh, proposal in to the publisher, they will ask you that question. And so one of the ways that I answered that question, so I had this idea, it's going to be in PT clinics, chiropractic clinics, um, and gyms. And I'm also making this course. So it's been kind of like a feathered, it's a dovetailed effort. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been a really an interesting process to differentiate, like, what's the book? What's the course? I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I, I also feel like this could easily be a reference manual in a Pilates studio, as well as, I know that it's, I mean, because I teach yoga as well. So, but, but to even have yoga teachers maybe not even yoga, I mean, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, but to have it because the way you've designed it and how you've got exercises in there for all three, I think was a pretty ingenious way to market it to lots of different people. And so you weren't pigeonholing yourself in Pilates, which is exactly the realm that I'm taking, but we're not here to talk about what I'm doing, but it's really interesting to see how how you've done that. So, and I would have to say to you, I feel like I'm in very much in the infant stages of this thought process. So, but yeah, but it's, well, you know, it's all movement. And so since I do have all of those certifications and all of that experience, what I've found is that going through the years, I've noticed a trend that movement professionals who teach movement do have multiple certifications. There are some that are purely Pilates, purely yoga, but there also are some that are more than that uh, because clients 
will have an affinity for one over the other, or, you know, you want to have those tools to be able to serve that client base. And so this is why I became a Hendrickson method manual therapist. It was like, instead of referring out for body work, you know, sometimes I, I do still do that, but I can solve the problem that I'm seeing in within the context of the same session. And so multiple certifications, but but, you know, I looked at what was out there. Another question the publisher asked me is, how is your book different from other books about backs? And I said, well, it's multimodal. And this is a big difference. And I'm glad you brought that up. Most of the books, if not all of the books that I was able to find at, as I was beginning the writing process and in the, in the midst of the writing process were modality specific. So we had Pilates for postural faults and we had structural yoga therapy and we had built from broken. And these are all big, big sellers, big names that are um, part of the sort of background library of what's available. And the um they're all you know just one modality and many of them uh many of the books that i have in my own reference library are extremely technical so they're really not layperson friendly and and sometimes even with junior teachers or teachers that just simply haven't experienced the vocabulary yet i mean you're reading a book and you have to have a dictionary next to the book to look up the words and it's like that's not accessible so yeah. i really wanted it to be accessible and and uh and include all the modalities so it really is a resource and a handbook and yes i do have i am getting now feedback that um, that I, the book is being purchased by studios for all of their trainers and all of their Pilates instructors. Um, and I've also, uh, got, uh, you know, making some inroads into the yoga population. That's a little bit different culture. Um, and, and I just got a, um, I was just told that I can go ahead and make this public. So this has been kind of a secret for a few weeks, but, um, safe movement for all spines is is has been adopted by Santa Rosa Junior College for their Pilates certificate program, their oh, yeah. yoga certificate program, and their fitness certificate programs. It's Congratulations! Thank you. I'm that's just huge. I was thrilled, and yes. and that's exactly the kind of placement that um, I'm looking for because the goal is to help make life a little easier for the instructor with a resource, regardless if you've had the training or not, the training can be all piecemeal. And so to have one guide where you have this foundational, even if it's a reminder, it, it's, it's terrific. And then to be able to train the instructors coming in uh, in how do you deal with these issues? How do you make it to where it's not scary you know, yeah. it, it, it's, I think it's really important, even with, with in, all three types of movement, Pilates, yoga, fitness, how many people will get a referral to a gym or a Pilates instructor or go, told to go to yoga when they, from a doctor's office. Yes. And it's very nonspecific. And, you know, we are told, oh, let's build relationships with doctors. And believe me, I've spent 20 plus years, you know, attempting that. And I do have relationships with some doctors, PTs, chiropractors, 
Um, but everybody's busy, you know? So how about let's just have a tool to where we can, you know, we can uh, feel confident. But I, I really, I was, I don't know where I read this, but I'm going to, and I, if I misquoted, I don't know. But when I read a, a statistic, there was something like 80% of Americans all suffer from lower back pain at some point in their lives. I thought that was pretty significant. And when you think about clients coming into the studios, I can tell you that when I started reading your book and started talking, to, because I've, ta I've been having conversations with my clients and um, it's really, really interesting. And I, I have a small clientele I, and that's why I, cho I choose to keep it small. So of my small clientele, I would say probably one third have had some kind of either like neck issues or like spinal or and or hips. So I I, I just felt it was really really um, like it was just so powerful when I when I read that and then I started to talk and then I started reading and I was like wait a minute don't you have like whatever the, whatever you wrote in the book I was asking my clients and I just thought it was really interesting but one of the things that I feel is sometimes not necessarily me or us, but I know that pain can be something that, and we're not gonna go too deep into pain, but when you think about like all of the, like the, the issues with the back and people don't want to move in particular ways. And when I can say to you or to other clients that we know what it is, and, and, and you've given exercises in here that, can assist, um, and you also, don't you also point out things not to do? Right, yeah. right, there's, um, the, the book is organized with a, what is it, there's a story about an actual yeah. person or people that yeah. I know um, at, at the beginning of each chapter, and then there's a, what is it, what does it look like or feel like, and what do I do? section yeah. and the what do I do section contains sample exercises and these are yeah. what I would consider foundational exercises some of the chapters go more in depth yeah. have more content in that area some less it yeah. is depends on so for example for hypermobility which is a spectrum of you know it, it, that has to that's so individualized I cannot just yeah. simply say do these exercises I can say Here's a starting point, and then you need to, just like we always say, work with the body in front of you. But some of the sections, like in scoliosis and in ankylosing spondylitis and spinal fusion, they have much more vast repertoire. But um, but the 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 intention is to be able to just pick it up and look at the chapter, like you're saying, and then um, apply the concepts. And in the back of the chapter, there is an exercises to, for, for yoga, Pilates, and personal training, again, um, specific exercises to emphasize, and then ones that need to be um, modified or provide variations for, mm -hmm. uh, or just simply avoid. Yes. And yes. so, Which, you know, if, if you have someone come into your studio and they're like, I have this thing, 
you know, going on or my hip hurts or whatever. I've been having a sciatica flare. You can just go pick up the book, look at that chapter, flip if they're a Pilates client, you know, just flip into the back of the chapter for that section. And yeah. you go, oh, okay, those are the pointers. Great, got it, you know. Well, uh, and you can, I'm just going to hold my book up. Please don't laugh at me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I <laughs> love that. And, and, it's, and it's too, like, I'm not going to highlight in this book because it's just, it's got too much wonderful I, it, it's just a, it's just a wealth of knowledge and I, it's going to go, it is downstairs in my studio. So you just need to know that. But I think that um, chapter 11, the language of healing, I really just felt such a connection to what you've written because, you know, uh, we're not going, I'm not going to go deep into, I'm just going to say that whenever there's any kind of injury or operation or anything at all like that it's a trauma to our body and we have to begin to look at it as movement movement educators in ways of how how important we are in that healing process and I know that you and I talked about this a while ago but I don't put myself in the realm of a healer. And I know you don't either. I help facilitate things for the client to heal themselves. Not that I am a healer. Right. And I think that's a really nice mind frame. And yes, we did talk about that. People will call you a healer. People have certainly said that about me. And, and I am, you know, thank you for that compliment. And at the same time, I feel that my role is to facilitate healing. Yes, it is. It is, you know, there is so much more that goes on in the healing process. My <laughs> best, my highest service to someone who comes to me in pain is to meet them where they are and then accept what they're saying and then provide a pathway to help them understand how they can move in a way that that not only is not painful but that creates an opportunity for healing and and, and removes exacerbation of symptoms and sometimes mm -hmm. it can be very very simple um, the meeting someone where they are I feel like that has to do with listening we yes. need to listen and we are such good listeners. We all know that no matter what, if you're in a one-to-one -one or even sometimes in a group session, but really in one-to-one, -one, our clientele talk to us about everything under the sun and that's yeah. all confidential <laughs> information, of course, you know, yeah. but, but we, we listen and, and I think what happens with the uh you you mentioned that a who uh world health organization says that up to 80 percent of people will experience back pain within their lives especially in the developed countries and much of that is considered non-specific back pain and so what that means is that when someone goes to their doctor and they're having back pain sometimes they do not get a specific diagnosis that would be nonspecific back pain. But even then, 
you can get clues from that person, like, well, what positions are most comfortable and which ones are really not comfortable. And everybody knows what position will cause them discomfort. That's a, that's a real fast learning curve right there. And so then you can get clues of, you know, is this something like in, in the book I have separated flexion intolerant, I call it from extension intolerant, which means Mm -hmm. that the flexion intolerant, it can create pain or harm if we go into flexion, which is forward bending and the Mm -hmm. opposite extension, you know, pain or harm going into extension. So so when, when we listen to someone, uh, you know, the most frustrating thing that you will see on a radiology report is the word, uh, the, you know, when unremarkable. And I've had so many people come to me with their radiology reports. And I really like to look at the x-ray, even though it's, it's not, I need the radiology report because it's out of my scope of practice to interpret an x-ray. I like to look at the picture because I'm a visual person and it helps me. And there's a story in chapter 10 about how effective that was for my client friend, Susan, uh, in the, um, in exploring kind of many years of being told that there was like nothing wrong and it was all in her head. Uh, the, the idea of being able to visualize the bones and how the space that the nerves have and how the tissues might be changing. Uh, I, I literally will go inside that x-ray and feel it in my own body. It's a little bit of an empathic intuitive at this point. But uh, when someone gets told their x-ray is unremarkable and then the doctor says there's nothing we can do. I mean, the really the, the truth of that is that that there's nothing medically that they're seeing is indicated. Correct. So the medical paradigm would be pain relieving or and, and or anti-inflammatory drug like a cortisone injection or surgery. I mean, that's yeah. basically you know, and, and so if that's not indicated and there's nothing visibly that they can see medically, then you've got a person who, you know, they're, they're feeling, they're, they're feeling something and it's it's probably not good. Yeah. And, and it's really like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not when somebody's like how they, and, and how, like validating how a person feels and listening, whereas they go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't have an answer for them. And it's almost like they feel like, especially people who've gone repeatedly, repeatedly and can, can experience the whole medical trauma stuff. And we're not, it, it's just, it can be really a lot of fear based around that as well. And it's just, it's right. Really, so, yeah. And so that's the motivating factor for getting this, this, you know, resource out there and getting it into as many hands as possible is because we know that movement heals and it needs to be the appropriate movement. So we need to provide or be a guide for people to continue moving, even when their body may be changing or they may have suffered a trauma, some kind of an accident, or they, 
you know, their wear and tear, whatever's happening, yeah, you know, we sure. need to keep moving. We are built to move. Our entire body is a pump yes. system based on movements. And yes. so if there is a fear component uh, connected to movement, oh, I, I need to stop doing this thing because I hurt my back, you know, yeah. or my hip is doing this thing that I, yeah. it's, it's complaining to me. So uh, I, I just actually had a woman tell me yesterday that some, that she had been told to stop walking. Like, oh my God, <laughs> no, let's, how about, let's, let's look at the, let's look at that a little bit more deeply. And let's, let's talk about, you know, that because the pump systems in the body depend on compression, decompression. So yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a little passionate about this. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so another component that you list in there <clears throat> is lis listening, obviously, but empathy. And I think empathy is so, it's just so important to have. Yes. And empathy needs to be differentiated from sympathy. Exactly. Sympathy yes. is like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's kind of more of a, I'm not sure what words to use to describe it it's good to have sympathy sympathy can draw you into a person's experience in a way that makes you less effective empathy mm -hmm. means that you're really holding the space for that person to have their experience and that you are with them you are guiding them you are co-regulating with them if we want to bring in a neurological term so that yeah. they can learn to self-regulate on a neurological level and move wow. out of this place of being stuck that they may be in and and it's so it's a different experience empathy is understanding and even feeling so strongly, like sometimes I will literally put my body in the position when I'm working with someone with scoliosis, or sometimes I will imagine <laughs> feeling what the person is feeling so that I can understand better, but it's not getting drawn into a, a place where I'm less effective because I'm emotionally getting tied up in the yeah. in the, in the feelings. It, and another word that I feel goes right along with it. So we holding, you, you use the term holding space. And I love that because I use it as well, but compassion and having compassion for these. So empathy, compassion, holding space to me, they kind of all, I mean, we all work together. Um, but the other thing that you also point out in your book is communication and having open lines of communication is just so important. Um, and sometimes it's not always through language. It might through, be through body language. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And and some of the, the ways that we can communicate, um, there's tone of voice, there's yes. facial expression, there is yeah, there's there's the languaging that we use. There is using inclusive languaging, inclusive body language, um, as simple as saying we and our is as simple as keeping your 
your arms open and and your gaze at the same level as the other person, as simple as if someone is telling you if you've, they're really opening up to you as far as how their physical body is feeling or anything else that they're experiencing, that you are at the same level in yes. as their face. I, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. And I think what that whole process starts with for me, it's respect. Oh, it, absolutely. It's respect <clears throat> of the other person. Yeah. I respect anyone who walks into my clinic or my studio and, and asks me for help. That is a person that is opening up that is vulnerable. Absolutely. And so my, you know, my worst fear would be that I might be tired one day and say something that, that might, um, close off a communication. And so I really, every single morning and every single night, I, I ask that my thoughts, words, and deeds be for the greater good. And that's, you know, if that is my overriding goal, my overriding mantra, then sometimes what we need to do I think, you know, we get really busy and what I need to do is kind of just pause for a moment and take a breath, especially if I'm getting information that is new and just, and ask a question. So if like someone comes in and says, well, my hip's hurting, like, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Now, what is happening you know, tell me more, you that's, know, that's, it's, we need more info. And then, and so opening up a conversation wherein, mm-hmm. you know, like you keep asking questions. So. And, and even like, as you're asking the questions, leaning in and really, really intuitively listening and using eye contact and things like that as well is really, yes, it's important. So, yes. Yes. And and sometimes if a person is really walking into like just even you use the word co-regulate and I love that because I'm I'm huge with the nervous system and just even matching our body language, our breath to help facilitate without even saying anything to help facilitate the down regulation if especially if somebody's really um anxious or they're coming in for the first time you might see it like that as well but in the book you also talk about microaggression and biases which for me are um top on my list and if we can't i i just want to talk briefly about it because i had misty lynn coughlin on uh quite a few weeks ago now but we talked about biases as well and i think it's really important to just touch a little bit. I mean, we're not done, we're not done with the podcast, but I just wondered if, if we could, if you could make a couple of comments about that section in the, in the chapter. The, the biases and microaggressions. Yeah. And I just have to start off with, this is an area that I am studying and will continue to study and practice for the rest of my life. Yes. It's not something that I was aware of until 
several years ago. And as a white woman in the United States, I am privileged. We are we are privileged. And if that that is that's just fact. And yeah. and so there's more than color when it comes to biases and microaggressions though there's like a there's a there's a color component there is a lifestyle or religious spiritual component there can be a body type component Um, there are so many components basically the biases are our programming from childhood Mm -hmm. And so we were brought up the way we were brought up. And there are things that we imprinted as children that are our first thought. And yes. so the first key is uh, is identifying that you have them. <laughs> and then the second, and, 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 you know, I've taken quite a bit of coursework. I have taken, you mentioned Misty Lynn Coffin. I've taken her, her course. And oh, I found it to be very, yeah. very I, good. Um, I, and, I took your course as well. Um, yeah. And, but I think- and yeah, and then reading, you know, reading books, but then the microaggression is the piece where if you don't identify the bias and then you act or speak in a way that perpetuates that bias and then you're creating unintentionally a harmful environment for the other person. And that's, that's the piece. That's where we just, it's hard stop. It's so if I have a bias for, I'll just make one up. Okay. I have a bias for people that wear glasses. Okay. (laughs) And so just to be ridiculous, right? Yeah, exactly. The first thing I need to do is I need to realize that I have a bias about people wearing glasses. I don't, I think we should all wear contacts or get LASIK, right? That's my internal programming. Okay. If I see someone walk into my studio, who's wearing a pair of glasses, my first thought is, oh, that's too bad. But that's, that's not a wrong or bad because it's just the way I was programmed. Mm -hmm. My job then is to not have something come out of my mouth or have a facial expression where I am now creating discomfort, creating an unsafe environment for that person because they're wearing glasses. Okay. And so we can extrapolate this to so many areas. Oh yeah. And I think I'm just going to say that I feel it's really important as professionals that we acknowledge that each and every one of us all have biases and begin to explore them and and, and I find that, you know, if you don't know something, usually people will be a little bit more open to talking about whatever, whatever your questioning is. And I learned years ago from a lady that I worked with and she said, what do you want to know? And so I would ask questions and she, and, and it was, I've dealt, be private prior to Misty's class. I've had years of just additional trainings. And when you take it and really dig deep with it and you understand, is this bias mine or is it something that I inherited from my childhood? And sometimes you have to reframe the way 
you were raised. That at least that's where I came from. Is that's, like I, yeah. I had to reframe um, my own perception of what, like my uh, because because I they had lack of knowledge, which is why the bias came about before. And so it's just, I think it's. But I really really honored the fact that you put that in your book because I feel it's so important that we talk about it and that yes, you and I we are privileged and that that doesn't make us any better than anybody else, but it's also beginning to have a voice to say, we need to do, well, the, the, what I'm going to call the inner work. That's right. To begin to examine um, and make changes within ourselves. So it impacts other people as well. So, yes, that's right. And doing, and doing the work and, being teachable and being willing to look at our part, our behavior too. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine many, many years ago said, you're only a product of your upbringing as long as you choose to be. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, it, It's empowering. Um, I There's no excuses. It's it's simply as you, you just, you know what you know, you don't know what you don't know, and it's it's all good. So I think as uh, people that are part of a privileged group, though, that, that we have more responsibility oh. to do the work, to extend a hand, to speak up as appropriate, and, yes. and, um, I mean, there's, there's instances in daily life where not every day, but where I have the opportunity to offer some education from my perspective, even mm -hmm. not having had the lived experience that others have had, it doesn't diminish my own experience. And that's one of the things too, that I learned is, is, you know, we've all had challenges well, yeah, you know, all of us have had challenges. So one person's challenges does not diminish or detract from another person's challenges. No. We're all and humans. I, exactly. And I think too, it's, it's when you begin to take that deeper dive inward and, and maybe, you know, there's, I, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, we're also individualized, but we do have, I feel just like you that we have a responsibility to speak up and speak out. And that's part of the reason why this podcast came about is to be have conversations and we're not having it. We're not going to go very deep into it, into the biases today and the microaggressions, but it's having hard topic. It's taking hard conversations and, and bringing them to light to say, we all have a responsibility in this and that we need to, um, Yes. Take action. Yeah. And yeah. and the reason I included it, even though I feel unqualified to to write about the subject, you know, in some ways, um, is that I I feel like that we need to, in order to help facilitate healing, create a healing environment right. and an environment where someone feels safe to communicate what is going on and how that really is affecting that person. We need to be able to meet people as human beings, as whole human beings and, and 
act as a guide. You know, when, when someone comes to me for a therapeutic modality or for an exercise instruction or for teacher training or continuing education, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, I, I need to do the inner work so that I have the tools to be able to really see that individual as the fine human being that they are and work with them. And there's nothing in the way there's, there's no barrier. And that is, you know, then I, then my, I'm joyful in my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm joyful to be able to help people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we oftentimes we hear, and you use the word safe, like, I'm just going to use the word safety, but we also have to really respect that our environments, we think we're making them safe for everybody, but the safety has to come from within the relationship that I have with you, if I'm coming to your studio, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but the safety for a human being, they have to start feeling safe within themselves. And sometimes that can be put people really, um, very, a lot of vulnerability. And I, I think that the, the, like you said, the work, the respect, empathy, compassion, holding space for them is where we have to start um, in the language. I mean, and it's, it's kind of ironic because you and I both talk the same language. <laughs> um, so, but Gwen, do you, you had, you, there was a quote that you had mentioned earlier from Marianne Williamson. Yeah. I believe it's Marianne Williamson. Yes. It's about shining your light. I don't have it memorized. That's okay. But I could I could cheat. I could look it up on my second. No, you question. don't. No, no, no. You're fine. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I love Marianne Williamson. And um she has a just a wonderful um let me see. I, I will try to find it since you've um but it's about letting your light shine. So and how Playing small doesn't benefit anyone. Okay, so here it is. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that is, that's one of the quotes that really has, it's been a way for me to move away from hiding and, you know, years and years and years of my clients and my students saying, you should write a book. 
and me going, <laughs> well, no, who's, who the heck is Gwen Miller, you know, and, and, and am I good enough? And do I have enough? And I, yeah, actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and of so course the book I, is hyper meticulously researched and, yes. you know. but it, that's a beautiful quote. And I think that it's really inspiring you know, like we talked about from the very beginning of the podcast where you've inspired other people to begin to even, you've planted the seed and I'm sure you planted the seed with lots of people, whether it's an article or a book or just, just stepping up and saying, you know what, I really do know my stuff. So yeah. And, and I yeah. hope it does inspire others to write, you know, part of, part of the whole, like, you know, ethic of teaching and being an author and working with people and helping others to become the best that they can be. Okay. I think for me, I think about it as requiring humility. It's like, it's, I have my ego, your ego is good. It's, it's good to have an ego <laughs> and it's also really valuable to set that ego aside when that creates an environment where we're not teachable anymore or where we have to be proving ourselves better than somebody else. And that's just not where it's at. No. If I think, if I come from a place of humility, I find that life is so much richer. It's amazing to me when I teach a teacher training course or I do I teach a continuing ed course or even working with a client how much people know and how much that knowledge enriches the course or the session. It's amazing. Yeah. That people are amazing. And it's by setting aside the, you know, ego driven kind of performance performative, you know, I'm like all this attitude, oh, yeah. That, yeah. you know, one might fall into accidentally from time to time. And you know, but being humble uh, allows other people the space. Again, we're talking about holding space. You create yes. the space yeah. for other people to yeah. really step in and, and shine. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, so Gwen, thank you so much for our conversation today. And we will have another conversation. Um, in the, oh probably in the future it definitely my goodness that was fast <laughs> it was but thank you so much for joining me today so um i appreciate you tammy i look forward to another conversation with you soon thank you thank you for listening to today's podcast it's my lifelong mission to educate and bring awareness to the fitness industry around trauma-informed movement. If you have any questions or subject that you would like to hear addressed, reach out to me at my website at www.studiotpilates.com. Hit that subscribe button so the next time we release our latest episode, you're going to be notified. You can also reach out to me on Facebook at Tammy Leischer. On Instagram, you can also reach out to me at Tammy Leischer, but also Studio T Pilates MI. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and we'll talk to you next time.